Hosea chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take a, to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom for the forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, and I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in a, the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Father God, as we um, open up the word and dive into Hosea, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts. I don't think any one of us in this room can fathom what that would have been like for Hosea to receive that instruction. It's hard. It's a hard thing to hear. Lord God, may we not just see this moment in time, but see the greater story. That as we look at this passage, we wrestle with the depth of it, while at the same time understanding you're the God who redeems his people. You're the God who redeems us. And we rejoice in your redemption and your redeeming hand. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I must confess to you this morning, um, <laughs> preaching out of the prophets is not um, what I would consider. I much prefer good stories or some good Pauline literature where it's very well laid out and points one, two, three, and four are nice and easily found. Um, they're a little bit less um, 
muddy and messy to deal with. We're going to dive into the book of Hosea, and Hosea was a, was a prophet of God. So what is a prophet? I think it's kind of really important that we understand the Old Testament understanding of what a prophet is. There are nine things that prophets would do in the Old Testament. An Old Testament prophet revealed the nature and the attributes of God to men. They would make known to men the laws of God. They would call the people back to obedience to God's laws. They would exhort the people to sincerity and worship. They would warn of divine judgment upon sin, both personal and national. Prophets would foretell future events which God had willed. And prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. Prophets recorded the history of God's dealings with men. And prophets recorded the word of God in the Holy Scriptures. To be a true prophet of the Lord was to speak in the name of Jehovah God. To be a true prophet of the Lord was to be chosen by God from one of the tribes of Israel. We have no prophets in the Old Testament that were outside of the tribe of Israel. A true prophet would speak the words which Jehovah puts into his mouth, and a true prophet will be vindicated by the fulfillment of his message. A false prophet in the Old Testament must be put to death for teaching rebellion against Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. I meant to bring it this morning, I forgot to. I've got this really cool book. It's an encyclopedia of evangelical, you know, well-known evangelical Christians, 400 of them. So you can imagine it's, it's quite substantial in its weight and breadth there. And I, and I began to think about this morning, and, and I was like, you know what? I don't think Hosea or Jeremiah or a few of the other prophets would have made this book. Because to get into this book means that you had a large influence in influencing people for God. And a lot of the prophets did spoke the truth of God, but received no response from the people of God, but rather just persecution. And as I was talking to Christy about that this week, she said something to me. She goes, you know, that actually gives me great hope. Because it's not about how people respond, if people believe, if people are changed by the things that I say. I am called to obedience. I'm called to obey God, to proclaim his word. And if people believe, if lives are changed, if, if people confess sin, if that's the Holy Spirit's work. But I'm called to obey. And that's actually really reassuring to me. That my job isn't to get my name in a big book showing that I've been successful, but rather my job is just to obey God in every area and every aspect that he calls me to. That's what a prophet was called to do. It wasn't glamorous, obviously. 
My challenge, I have been challenged, as we, some people have asked me about being a New Testament prophet, and I thought about going into that here, but I don't want to take away from the text. If you want to talk to me about, is there prophets today, um, we, we could have a conversation about that. God has been, has me in process on that understanding, and I'm excited and growing in my, my theology in regards to, are there prophets today? So, if you want to ask me about that, you're going to have to take me out for a cup of coffee. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a great chat. So the who, what, why, when, where of the, of the book of Hosea. Well, the author is Hosea. And we see here in, in, in verse 1 that the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So these were the kings under which Hosea prophesied. Particularly what's being spoken of in chapter 1 is a prophecy that, that Hosea was called to not just to deliver. Usually a prophet would receive a word from God. And he would go speak that word from God. This is a little bit different. Um, as I look at this, if, um, I forgot my iPad and get that set up. That's okay, we're fine. We don't need slides this morning. We're good. Um, a living prophet is what Hosea was called to be. Like this, this living prophecy. He wasn't called to just proclaim a word. He was called to like, you're going to have a life that exemplifies, is, is, is demonstrates what is taking place with my relationship with the Israelite people. And so God calls Hosea into this prophecy. But what happened to get to this point? Well, I got to give you some backstory, some, some history. So when King David lived, he united all the kingdoms underneath his reign. All the kingdoms under David were, were brought together. And it was really beautiful, and, and the reign was great, and they were a mighty nation. And then after David died and went to be with the Lord, his son Solomon reigned in his place. And like it was, I was reminded of this morning, you know, Solomon, he, he was asked God, God said, I'll give you anything that you want. What do you want? And he goes, I, I need wisdom to govern these people. And he goes, since you've asked for wisdom to govern these people, well, I'm going to give you wealth and riches as well. And, you know, as we look back on that, we're kind of going, hmm, hindsight 2020, was that a blessing or a curse? Maybe Solomon should have just said, wisdom, other stuff, not so much, okay? We can leave that because it got all those things, those wealths, those, that rich went to his head and he started getting all these wives from foreign kingdoms and these wives led his heart astray because these foreign kingdoms worshiped false gods and so Solomon began to worship the false gods of these women and that's where as it's mentioned here the whoredom began you see we have a holy God and a just God and a God who says you will worship me and worship me alone and I will not tolerate a people that, will, that, worships, that worships anything else other than me. So I'm going to divide this kingdom, Solomon, after you die. Because I love David, because of what I promised to David, Solomon, your kingdom's not going to divide it under you. But as soon as you die, your son Rehoboam is going to do things that's going to cause the kingdom to be split. So Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam stands up, and the people cry out to Rehoboam and say, hey, Solomon was really oppressive. He like asked a ton of us. 
They built great, huge things. They put up the temple. You know, David's palace wasn't good enough for Solomon. So Solomon said, I'm going to build a greater palace. And so all that had to come from somewhere. And so labor, great labor force was used. And then all this, like, taxes and all these things. And so the people are like, we need to break Rehoboam. And then so Rehoboam's wise counselors say to him, give him a break. But these young guys, it's always the young guys. The young guys, they say, you know what, Rehoboam? No. You tell, you tell them, you don't let up. You tell them you think Solomon was bad. <laughs> the weight of my hand upon you is going to be way worse. And so the kingdom splits. And God had already ordained these events and had risen up a leader, Jeroboam I, that would lead 10 of the 12 tribes away. And in order for Jeroboam to keep the people in the Israel, the northern kingdom, from coming back to Jerusalem for the holy days, Passover, the Feast of Booze, all these holy days that they're supposed to return to Jerusalem for. In order to keep that from happening, he said, I'm going to build us a new God and a new place to worship. And so he builds them this golden calf. Man. And so now they go to Bethel instead of going to Jerusalem to worship. Jeroboam erects a false god. And the Israelite, the northern kingdom, worships this false god. And what's crazy is you look at the lineage of kings, if you were to open up 2 Kings and read through Israel's history of kings, not a single king, as it's said of them, they did right what was right in God's eyes. Not a single one. All of them did evil, did evil, did evil. And you're like, turn the page. Well, maybe this guy, nope. Not Maybe this guy, nope. Maybe this guy, nope. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates. The evil, the depravity, the false gods they worshiped. And it's like God reaches this point and says, enough! I can't, I can't let you be my people in the midst of this anymore. I'm going to have to step in and stop what you're doing and stop pouring yourself out to these false gods. And it's strong language. And for any kids in here that don't know that word, congratulations, parents, you get to go home and explain a new word to your kids, right? But that's what God uses here. It's strong, graphic language to explain what was taking place in the lives and hearts of the people of the northern kingdom. And he says, Judah, your time is not yet. We'll dive into Judah in a little bit as we go through this book. Not yet, but Israel, your time, it's due. It's long overdue. So this is the history. And so now we've come to Jeroboam II, who's just a wicked, wicked king. Hosea is living this prophecy out so that Jeroboam may know that his God is going to bring judgment. Now, before we dive into this text, you've got to understand something, and this was so overwhelming to me this morning. God is angry at his people because he loves his people and he desires to see them 
broken over their sin, return to him and worship and glorify him. And he's willing to act in very harsh ways to his people in order that they might be restored to him. So as we study this, study this with that in mind. God's point of persecution and bringing suffering to his people is for their redemption. See, that's our good, true, loving God. And that's what separates God from, from everything else, is that when God acts and works, it is always for, and I hope you ingrain this in your minds and remember this, it is for his glory and our good. Amen. Every time God acts, it is for his glory and our good. Even in this situation and circumstance. So let's just look at this living prophecy that, that uh, Hosea is being called to. He's called to take a woman of ill repute. Now, this is, has scholars arguing. Was she unfaithful? Was she a promiscuous woman before he even married her? Scholars would argue that God was saying that, that he was asking Hosea to break the law because a person underneath the law was not supposed to, ma- to marry a, a woman who was unfaithful or had been promiscuous. I'm not going to answer that question for you here this morning. The text points us that this woman was a woman either, either characterized as an unfaithful woman. It's, it's like that, that girl maybe, some of your sons may be like, man, I'm attracted to this girl. And, and so my wife has an unfair knowledge of, of people in the valley because she sees people in the valley, right, as a medical provider. And it's like, well, you know, could, could speak into that, Elijah, this not happen. But it's like, without giving up the confidentiality piece, like, you know, I think you should probably, you know, she's not the girl you'd want your child to bring home. Like, if your child goes, oh, I think I like this girl, you're like, no. <laughs> Parental authority now. Like, right? Like, no. She is the girl that, no, I don't want her as a daughter-in-law. That This is bad. This is going to end badly for you. But God calls Hosea to go select this woman whose, whose character is defined as being unfaithful who may have already shown that. And, and as we look at the greater reason for this story, I tend to think and lean towards that she was promiscuous before even Hosea married her because as you look at what God's trying to do here, was Abraham faithful when God called him? Well, right out of the chute, Abraham does half obedience, comes a little bit, but stops. Oh, and then when he comes all the way, he doesn't trust God with his own wife, and so he's got to lie. So God calls this guy who's, who's, not, who's not fully faithful to obedience to God. And so I'm kind of going, well, it seems to fit with the story that, that yeah. But it, no matter, we, we can argue about that later, but God, here he is. And, and, and so if you're wrestling with it, that that's an uncomfortable thing. That's the point, folks. This is an uncomfortable thing. God's calling Hosea too. This is, this is a tough thing. And so she bears him a child. 
And, and his, God says, name him Jezreel. And it's this idea of God is going to do this thing in the future in the valley of Jezreel where the Assyrian army is going to come. And they're going to carry off the northern kingdom. The Assyrian army was a wicked like group of individuals. Brutal. And carried them off into captivity in the valley of Jezreel. And God is not using, is just using the name, but he's also using a prophetic reference to what is going to take place and where it is going to take place. Then he goes on to, to tell them that you're going to name him Lo Ruhama, which is this Hebrew word that has this meaning of God is going to show no mercy. Now, I want you to understand this. Why is God showing them no mercy? So that someday he can show them mercy. For a time, God is going to show these people. He's going to turn his back on them. And he's going to let the Assyrian people do what they do best to them. Enslave them. Rape them. Murder them. So that they will turn and they will cry out to their God. Lord, save us because there's something more important than just our our physical lives in this world but our eternal salvation he goes on to tell him well the next one you name is is loami and loami means not my people and again god is going to call them not my people for a time so that they can once again when they cry out in repentance he can welcome them home as his people because god's purpose of judgment of suffering is so that his people will be redeemed because everything God does is for his and our and the Israelites good you know it's amazing that we have a God and I don't know if you think about this much Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, these events just fresh in my mind. It is just so like awe-inspiring and perplexing that God would join himself, would covenant himself with an unfaithful people like Israel. Like God calls Abraham, enters into covenant with Abraham, knowing Abraham's not going to walk perfectly with him knowing that Isaac is not going to walk perfectly with him, knowing that Jacob, the deceiver, is definitely, you know, is going to not walk perfectly with him and manipulate her. And then you got the, I mean, I'm telling you what, you follow the story of Israel and you get just to the story of Joseph and you're like, oh my lands, thank goodness for the story of Joseph because we get a picture of a redeemer. We get a picture of one who saves. And when we studied Joseph not too long ago, and we get this beautiful picture, and it's really needed because when you hit all the brothers, you get Judah and Simeon and Levi and all the things that they did, you're like, my goodness, why would the holy, righteous, pure God enter into a covenant bond? And this idea of covenant bond is God is saying, I will be faithful even when you are not because I'm God. And I know you can't be faithful. I still enter into relationship with you. 
If that just doesn't like lift your hearts this morning and give you encouragement, like, that's my God. He loves me. He cherishes me. Even though, man, I stink at following him. He loves me and he'll do whatever's necessary to keep me loving him. These names of these children are so significant. And we may look upon them with this idea, is is he just rejecting these people because he's mad at them, because he's angry? But I would challenge you, just like you grab hold of your child when they run across the road and you save them from getting hit by a car and you bring them over to the side and you give them a little swift swat on the backside. Because they just did something that could have ended their life. Do you do it because you hate them and you don't want them to be your kid anymore? No, you do it because you're like, I want you to register and understand what's about ready to take place there could have ended your life and that was bad. I want you to remember this event. And right now, a good talking to you ain't going to do. Okay? And the child looks at you with astonishment like, because that could have ended your life. I love you. And because I love you, I'm willing to discipline you so that you know what is bad for you. It's not out of hatred or because of lack of love, but it's out of the love of a parent to a child. And even more billion timefold, God loves us. God loved the Israelite people. Because he wanted them to follow him, to, to have this abundant life, and they keep settling for a counterfeit life of misery, of brokenness, of horrific. I mean, they were sacrificing their children. They were doing horrific things to, to, to these false idols. And a new God would pop up on the horizon and they're like, oh, let's grab that God. Or a new God did something good for, like, oh, look, over in the Assyrian area, over, over Baal, you know, seemed to bless these people here, so we're going to adopt Baal. And God's saying here, I will bless you beyond any blessing that you can ever imagine. Just repent and worship me. And they say, no. And so God must do what he must do in order to redeem his people. And brothers and sisters, that's what this book is about. It's about the greatest prophet. Because we believe that all of scripture is fulfilled in who? Jesus Christ. So as obedient of a prophet as Hosea in, in taking Gomer and walking this brutal life, he is still a sinner in need of the one true prophet. Hosea cannot, even in this wonderful example of being this living prophecy, he cannot redeem these people. The people of God were in need of a prophet who would redeem. And we're going to read about it in Hosea 14 even more. But I want to lean our minds to Jesus. When we talk about the faithful prophet of Hosea, I'm not talking about Hosea. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, who is the faithful prophet. Now, I want to be really careful. And if you question me, Deuteronomy 18, and let's, let's just, if you got your Bibles open, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Lord your God will rise up, starting in verse 15, for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And just as you desired 
of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see the great fire in any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to all that I command him. Now, if you turn over here to the New Testament in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 3, and it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and in Acts chapter 3, we read who was being spoken of there in Deuteronomy chapter 18, or excuse me, 15, and chapter 3, verse 22 of Acts. Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Moses said, and then, so this is Peter speaking at the Solomon's portico and delivering this sermon to, this peop, to the people there. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who come after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and your offspring all shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Who is the prophet that is being spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18? Jesus. He is the great and only prophet that completely, obediently to the Father, proclaimed all that the Father perfectly wanted proclaimed to his people was found in Jesus. Jesus is the greater prophet. And Jesus has entered into a covenant with a broken people, hasn't he? Who who are the broken people that he's entered into covenant with called today? The church. I want to be careful here. I received a great word from my brother this week. And not to to discourage people's faith. And so I want to be really careful here and gentle. And we ought to understand, brothers and sisters, we are in this together. I don't stand up here and say, you, you, you. I say we. We are in this to be obedient to God, to love God, and to follow faithfully after God. But we struggle. We're still an unfaithful people. We're still an unfaithful church. And... I want to address this as, as, as Hosea addresses this nationally first. God was addressing the nation, the northern kingdom as a group of people. And I want to address kind of my fears for the church as a whole. The church in America, the church in Europe, the church in a lot of places where it was popular to be a Christian for a long time has undergone some really horrific changes. We have stopped believing that the word of God is true. And we've subjected the word of God to our own reasoning and our own thinking. And if we discern in our minds that it doesn't fit into the lifestyle we want to live, then it's not true. And we adjust and we manipulate scriptures to proclaim something other than what God, the creator God, intended for us to know and to live. 
I don't think we can do that for a very long period of time without expecting God to judge his church. Churches have split over the color of carpet, over the type of music that is played, over whether or not PowerPoint should be used, whether or not a building is satisfactorily. What does that, that show us? Remember, God is calling the Israelite people whores because they worshipped false gods. But when churches split and churches elevate these things, are we not calling those things God? Are we not saying those things rain upon our hearts so that I'm going to break fellowship? I'm going to, to, to split churches. I'm going to become divisive in order so that I can have this thing. You know, it was beautiful. I was talking to Colleen this morning, and I don't mean this in a, in a beat-em-up kind of way. But I said, Colleen, are, are you coming? Did, did somebody not show up or did somebody not sign up for coffee this week? And, and she's like, oh, no, no. I, there was this mix-up in scheduling, and so I just wanted to come in and do it. I was like, great. But... I told her, I was like, but we don't need that to worship God. Right? We don't need coffee. We don't need donuts and muffins. We don't need pianos and guitars. I mean, on Good Friday service, if you, if you came, man, it was just bare bones, like voices. We did have an iPad so that we could see to read scripture from because it was dark. But we read scripture together. People were confessing to God praying to God, it was just bare bones, and it was beautiful. And you know what the coolest thing was? That could take place in any one of your living rooms. Where do we have places in our hearts that we have established idols? As a church body, is our new property an idol? Is, is putting up a building an idol? Because I actually had a, a Christian tell me, well, if you guys don't put up that building, your church is going to die. Right? Because what have we, we've learned in the great American church that it's about a building. No, 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 no. The people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. It's always been the people. What a, I'm sorry, the people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I was so... Like, when I first saw the news of the cathedral, Notre Dame, burning, I was like, oh my goodness, that's significant. And then in my heart, I'm going, thank you. Because it's all going to burn. The only thing that's going to be left, we are going to sing a song in a minute. And I'm warning you, there's a line in this song about praying for God's refining fire. What does God's refining fire do? He strips away the dross. He strips away the impurities. And what's left is what we've done for the kingdom of God and for God's glory. That's all that's left. What a great reminder that it's all going to burn. Well, we can go and sit there and say, man, this is a cool building. Like, but you know what? It's not the church. In fact, it ain't been for a long time. Brothers and sisters, this is the church, you, me, gathered here in this place. And so it's a great question for us. Like, 
as a church body and as us as elders, we need to really address this in our own hearts. What do we hold as things that are not good for this body that we're holding to as, as good? You know, I went down to that four-day church intensive and they did this T-chart. And on one side was the commands of God for the church. Just write them out. Like, go after it. Write them out. And so we went after it. All the love one another's. Tom Dunbar would have been so, Tom, you would have loved it. We went after all the love one another's and putting them all on there. And finally, the guy's like, okay, stop, right? Stop. You guys are a bunch of, you know, good pastor types, all right? You know, stop doing that. Now let's come over here to the tradition side. What do you guys do on a regular basis involving church that isn't commanded by Scripture but can sometimes be on par with the commands of God? And he wrote them out. And we just began to talk about them. And... And then he asked the question that just stabbed my heart. He goes, how much time do you spend on these versus these? And I came back and I shared that with the elders. And so the elders, we're, we're praying together like, God, lead us because we want our church to be about the commands of God, not about the traditions of men. Amen. That's what we want. We want to remove idols from our heart. And I believe God can if we don't repent and if we don't turn from our sin. God is a redeeming God and he is jealous for our love and for our affections. And if we keep worshiping things that aren't from him, that aren't of him, if we keep acting disobedience, we expect, we should expect the judgment of God upon us. In fact, we should desire it because we need to be purified. We need to be refined. We need to be brought back into this loving arms of our God. But he always does it for his and our good. So the elders are questioning. We're asking, seeking God. Where do we need to be obedient to God as a church body and leading this body of believers. And so now I ask you individually, where, where, what are the things that you're holding above God? Like, God, I'll serve you if you do this. God, I'll obey you if you do this. God, like, God, I don't want you to have access to that part of my heart or my life because I really don't believe you can redeem it, so I got to protect myself so I'm on the throne. Where? He is greater. Jesus is so greater. He is the greatest prophet that ever was and ever is and ever will be. Jesus is the greater. And he is the only one that can give you the longings of your heart, those deep longings. He is the one that can give those to you and fulfill those longings for you. But we've got we've to put him in his rightful place. And we got to let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts. And it's a beautiful thing. When you face conviction, when I face conviction, it's beautiful. We can shed tears and call out to our God. And just like Jesus did with Peter, Peter takes his eye off Jesus and he looks to the waves. And, he, and he's scared and he drops below the waves. And I love the text. The text says immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and pulled Peter back up. And Jesus is saying, I will redeem you. I will restore you. Call out, confess 
repent. 1 John 1, 9, that he, when we confess he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And restore us so we can have those longings of our heart that the world cannot even begin to fulfill, fulfilled in our Lord and our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing, confession and repentance. That's what God is going to be calling his people to. I hope it doesn't take that for the church in America, for our church body to go through something like that. But if that's what God wants for us so that we can be fully and wholly his, then we should desire it. But I desire for us to address our sin, confess our sin, and God will restore us. You know, it says in the Bible, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this hard text. Thank you for Hosea and his obedience. And thank you so much more for Jesus Christ and his obedience to you as he covenanted himself, as he married a bride, the church, that is failing to make the disciples that you called us to make, that we're struggling to walk with you on a daily basis. We're struggling to give you the reins and the rule and the throne of our heart. And Lord God, may your spirit move amongst us. We ask for you to move amongst the leadership of this church body that we would be so quick to confess and to repent where we have elevated things above you, where we have not trusted you, where we have allowed sin to enter in. Father God, please. Move amongst us in our own hearts and lives and expose those places where we're being unfaithful to our King. We love you, Lord. And thank you for the stories that we're about ready to hear. May they encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I know our kiddos are going to be coming up here pretty shortly, um, and we want them to be a part of this, but do we have that? Oh, thank you, brother. So if, if you've got a God story, um, I'm pretty sure we got a few of them after this week, um, just raise your hand, and we, we, we'd love to have our hearts encouraged by what God is doing through you. My foot's gone to sleep. <laughs> is it on? Okay. Well, this is a continuation of about uh, a few months ago. Um, when we were at the hospital, a lady that worked at food services became friends with us and was very concerned about her son that had drifted. Well, about a month and a half ago, we again went to the hospital to have lunch. And she says, wow, you had put that rock underneath your cross 
I prayed for my son. He's come back. I mean, he's a totally changed person. Thank you. Well, I thought that was wonderful. I mentioned this. Well, just uh, two days ago, I was over at the church, over at the hospital again. She came up to me and says, the Lord is still working on my son. He was involved in an accident the other day that should have killed him. He was riding his bicycle in a car, swerved in front of him, he hit the car, rolled over the hood. He could have been killed. He only got a few scratches. The Lord is working in his life. That's my update of this young man. That His name was on the rock out there at our new property. Um, this is a Reuben God story. I think we all have those um, after the last couple of weeks. And I just want to say that Reuben was young in human years, but I think he had an old soul. And um, he sent a message out on March 15th, and I just wanted to share that this morning. Reuben said, good morning, my sisters. Let nothing hinder us, stepping out in complete trust and being led by his Holy Spirit, knowing that we do not walk alone. Keep in mind that an amateur built the ark and professionals built the Titanic. <laughs> to be led by his Holy Spirit is to already have won our daily battles. Praise him. Scott, thank you for that. For that. Um, it was interesting. It was challenging to see how you would be leading into this challenging book of Hosea. And uh, what came to my mind is something I hadn't thought about for many, many years that I went through, that I took my wife and my family through. And instead of listening to the warning and heeding advice of my wife, I pursued what I thought was God's blessing in a business venture that was overseas that turned out to be um, placing me right in the midst of organized crime. And it uh, ended up threatening my life and the well-being of my family. And I had ignored the warnings of my wife. And I had whitewashed God onto what I saw as a uh, successful business venture. My eyes were blinded by my ambition. And uh, I had to come back and repent on my face before the Lord and asked my wife for forgiveness, and it wasn't over. It went for seven years. And uh, it was a hard thing to go through, but God showed me a, a deep lesson in that, and that was not whitewashing my desires, my wants, or my needs, and expecting him to uphold that and honor that just because I thought it looked good. So thank you. 